You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. <laughs> Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit LonoCoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. And by Dizzy Pig Barbecue. Visit DizzyPigBBQ.com, use the coupon KIME, that's K-E-I-M, for a 20% discount. That's huge, folks. Today, I am joined by Washington quarterbacks coach Ken Zampezi as we discuss the obvious Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, and Alex Smith. I'm also joined by Danielle Bennett. You know my love for barbecue, and she's a legend in this world. She has some fantastic recipes I know you will enjoy. She has quite a spin on the smoked beer can chicken. But her story is a good one as well. Yeah, I know we're clo- getting closer to football season, but she's good, folks. You'll enjoy the listen. And then I close it out with a few nuggets. And don't forget to read my work on ESPN.com. I had two stories last week that remain on the site on Keith Ismail's journey across the country, and on Ron Rivera's task in fixing the culture in Washington. I talked to some toxic culture experts, experts, believe it or not, as well as many other people for input on this story. And now, here's my conversation with Washington quarterback coach Ken Zampezi. One note, this was taped last week. But are there some things in the Zoom, in those Zoom meetings, the virtual meetings, that maybe you picked up as far as his understanding of your of the playbook and where he needs to be right now? Do you get a good sense of that? At this point? Well, he's worked at it. He needs to learn the language. He really needs to uh, spend time away from those meetings to memorize the language and memorize the reads. Uh, all that stuff will be revealed in time once we get a chance to get on the field, you know. Right. But I think there would be, would be a place where, where he would want to concentrate at this point in time and really hammer the, the mental side of that down, the memorization side down, and play those things in your mind while you're studying at home. And when you see him, because, you know, he's a young kid still, you see him have the finish he did last year. And then the things that, that I heard about him in the offseason that you obviously would have known, getting in a better shape, doing things like that, what does that – suggest to you when you see him taking that initiative to kind of reshape his body well it says he's serious about it it's one it says that's the first thing it says to me losing weight is extremely hard as we all know you just try it good luck uh he did it successfully with 20 pounds worth of it uh now he has something to lose he's a young guy yeah all that good stuff but it's hard to do that and keep it off and live the lifestyle that keeps it off and that's very, very hard. The discipline is difficult. But this is a hard job. There's, there's 32 guys that can do it. And uh, there's not all of them are, are guys that everybody wants either. There's, there's some that you – there's a handful that you say these guys are great and others that you wouldn't. So, yeah, there's 32, but there, there's only some that are considered real, real worthy. So there's, it's a select group that you're trying to get yourself into. And every little advantage that you can get, you take it. And it's good to see him take that one. 
how can that help his game? Well, the, the mobility aspect, conditioning, not being tired. If your body's tired, your mind gets tired. Your mind gets tired, the ball goes to the other team. So those things are, are downhill spiral. Uh, just because you're in shape doesn't mean you're a good player either. There's all sorts of other things, but it is one thing in your control on the process side of the equation, not the outcome side that you can handle that's in your control and you feel like you're working towards a common goal. You're accountable to your teammates and to yourself and your own goals. It's always a good place to start. And, you know, you, you had, we talked to you in the zoom press conference where you talked, you know, he was with, you saw him with Cam Newton and how that could be helpful to him. Could you see a benefit already just in talking to him? Was there can you tell a deeper understanding or is it just like, is it another one of those things you say, Hey, got to see it on the field, but could you tell any sort of impact from his spending time out there with him? At this no, point? only that he was excited about it and he had asked questions and uh, anything where a guy takes the initiative to learn more about the offense that you're in and more about his role in it is exciting. So I, that's what I took away the most. I can't tell what he asked, what he didn't ask and all those things. Maybe we'll get to that over time, but uh, just that he took the initiative to, and uh, flew all the way across the country to work out with those guys. That, that was pretty cool to me. And you, you've worked, uh, obviously, with a lot of high draft picks over your career, going back to Carson Palmer, yeah. Andy Dalton, Baker, and all that. What, what are some of the common traits that you see in a young guy that helps them succeed? Well, the young guys that play well early are usually ones who know who they are. They have a good support system, and uh, they're not easily swayed by the noise. They have mental, mental toughness, physical toughness. Uh, and uh, those guys have a chance to play early. The guys that have no idea who they are as a person usually are distracted by noise and all the other things that don't mean anything. And uh, uh, he, he comes from a terrific family background. He had excellent coaching in college, and uh, we're putting around him a very supportive atmosphere. Uh, we've got a fantastic vet. We've got competition for the position with the other guys in the room. We have Coach Rivera and Coach Turner from the top-down management structure. And, uh, I mean, everything's set up for him to, to do well and progress. What did you learn in 2011 going through the lockout in a weird situation with a rookie quarterback? I know Dwayne's not a rookie. Kyle's not a rookie. But they are young quarterbacks. What did you learn from that situation that you can apply here? That really – because there's no – you don't develop any rapport or communication with the, with the, the new players that are, that are in your locker room in the spring because there is no locker room time. Right. You don't even know these guys. You, maybe you talked to them on the phone or met up with them here or there somewhere. But uh, you have to come in and act, your, your actions speak a lot louder than your words, how you prepare, how you practice, your uh, urgency, your communications. Can you make other guys play well? Can you make other guys comfortable so they can play well by the way you deliver the play, by the, the calming effect of an extra word on the side or anything like that? Those things go a long way in a short period of time uh, that go to atmosphere from leaders. And all of our quarterbacks uh, have that charge. And uh, I, I know Dwayne's that way. I know the other guys are that way. And I can't wait to watch it play out once we can get, get the varsity in the, in the building. What, for you as a coach, what kind of things did you learn that you can apply here that you can say, okay, these are one or two things that I learned in dealing with Andy during that situation that I can now take and apply here? Well, the, the guy running at the quarterback has to be accountable and has to not want to let the other guys down. And if that's the starting point, 
then he will uh, memorize the stuff and learn the stuff in such a way that he doesn't want to look bad and he doesn't want to let anybody else down. And uh, I think we got both of those. I can't wait to watch it play out. Were there, you know, I know you were big on showing some of the other guys the videos of other quarterbacks. Did you do any of that with these guys? Did you show them some of your, and who are the quarterbacks that you maybe were showing them? Well, I've got an archive that's uh, passes by protections. And these are common passes that I like to show that, that we do that I show here's, here's uh, Philip Rivers throwing the same pass here. Here's uh, Drew Brees throwing the same pass. I think guys like to see other guys, especially the great ones. And right. uh, the more you can put those on tape and, and, you know, in their minds are thinking, Hey, I, shit, I'm great. I haven't had as many turns at bat, but I'm great. I'm going to make that throw too. And then you have a way to, you always want to keep their attention with something. And they all like look at themselves, but we got young guys who are not a lot of tape on these guys uh, doing everything great all the time. You know what I mean? They're just young. It just hadn't happened that way where you have eight years of tape, but there's eight years of tape on Drew Brees. And by God, the way he goes about his business is exactly how we'd love to go about our business. Uh, there's certain guys that, that are great examples. And whether it's from the preparation standpoint or the playing standpoint, that you can always put on tape and talk about what the things that are important. They can see it in these other players and they know because they've already watched these guys. They know why that's, why that's important. Then you can relate it to our offense and how it fits into our system and why it's important in our building. And then you can make the connection. One of the things too, that I heard about you and talking to, I talked to Jason Campbell about this <laughs> and he, one of the things that, yeah. And one of the things that jumped out with him, he said, one of the things that's going to be really good for Dwayne or any quarterback here is your attention to detail when it comes to protections. What, what yeah. is it, what is it that you would, that you maybe, may, I know you can speak to what others do, but what is it that you do to kind of hammer that home to get him to say something like that or to have him say something like that? Yeah, I just, it's something that's every, every, Coach has areas that they think are important. I think that's important. I think it's important that you learn what the protections are, your responsibilities within the protections, so that you don't have to worry about them. You know when you don't have to think about it because it's already handled or that look, they can't bring this from that look. Uh, because too often when you don't know your protections, every look, oh, my God, are they bringing this? Can they bring that? Oh, no, a guy's walked up. And you have all this head trash and and – you don't have as much mental capacity to play the play with, but when you walk up and you say, Oh, this is blocked. They don't, my only issue is over here. There's no issue over there. Let's go play. Now you have your full mental capacity to play the read with. And that's why uh, I like to handle those things early with guys. So they have a mastery of it. They know the communication with themselves in the center. They know how to protect themselves and they know when not to worry. Right. That's, you know, when not to have any stress because the more plays you can play without pre-snap stress, the better you're going to play the play with. Where are they at in terms of, and I guess because Kyle's been in this offense and all that, but even for Dwayne, in terms of it, you translating the terminology, how difficult is that? And where do you feel like he's at just in working in those virtual sessions? Uh, he's right where he's supposed to be. And there's always more to be done, I guess is a safe way to put it. Uh, I think it's easier to learn under the gun when you're calling a play in front of 10 other guys in a huddle sure. and then have to go execute. That's another level of understanding that those kind of situations kind of burn it into your head, uh, the different things, because you're, you're under the clock for it. And, and the zoom meetings, you're really not. So it's a, it's a softer way to start the learning and it'll get better once we get out here and you're really actually under the gun to speak it in front of other people where you might look bad, then, then it really gets going. 
right? What, you know, I, I, I'm, I know I'm focusing on Dwayne because, you know, we all know the importance of it. And I know I don't want to discredit or not, or overlook the other quarterbacks, but with Dwayne, having said that, with Dwayne, not. yeah, but, it, but I'm going to say that. I'm going to go back to Dwayne, but I'll get to the other ones in a minute. I'll only keep you a few more minutes. But when you look at last year, the progression that he had, and I know, you know, as a rookie, there's so much going on here. I don't need you to comment on what happened here, but just as far as his progression, where he started, where he finished, what were your impressions of what you saw on, on film? Well, I didn't watch it as just game by game as it happened, more in the cut-ups and things like that. But I, I know that he finished well those last two games, and that's what's important. I know that Coach particularly pointed out the Detroit game and how he finished that game. Right. Uh, so we finished the season well. We finished that particular game well, and that's great, and that's things to build off of. And what did you, I, I am asking this again, because I think we got the tape got rolling a little bit late, but what were some of the things that you saw from him in the off season? What were your impressions and wh you know, what did you want to see? What did you see? And what were your impressions of him from the off? Well, I saw that he was serious about his conditioning. He was serious about his technique and working out and that he really loves to throw the football. Yeah. Thank goodness. You know, he loves to throw it down the field. He loves to compete and play the game. And that's exactly what we're going to do here. And it's my job to make sure anything that isn't up to par is going to get there along with him, us going hand in hand that way. That's exactly what we're going to do. That's been what we've been charged with. And, uh, wow, we just can't wait to keep going. All right. Now to, I'll go to the other guys real quick and I'll let you go. But um, Kyle Allen, what's your impression of him? What stands out? He's got a good arm and particularly a good understanding of the offense and when routes are, are happening and developing. Uh, He's still young. We, we have a ton of technique work to do to just make things easier on him. He's converting a bit of the footwork from what he did a year ago to uh, what he's done in the past, and we're going to get comfortable with that. And I think as we start to get the timing and the footwork going, the confidence will, will jump even further past where it's at right now, and he'll make some uh, big strides as we get going technique-wise, which will translate into the live games. What do you, I mean, Alex Smith, you know, we know, we know what he's done. We know what he's been through. It's kind of remarkable. It is not kind of, it's remarkable that he's at this point. It really is. What do you need to see to get him to that next point? So where you guys are saying, okay, we're seeing this, we're okay. Well, I think as soon as you put limitations or boundaries or ceilings on Alex Smith, he blows them right out of the water. That's been obvious. There are no, there are no uh, perceived boundaries, perceived ceilings. We haven't reached a plateau when talking to him. We just keep uh, finding another level. So we'll just keep doing that. Well, he's been through a, a bunch of working out in the last two days, really heavy, heavy workout, heavier than a normal practice type working out. And uh, it keeps coming back well. So we'll just, we'll monitor that. And when it's time for a, a coach to put the okay on him practicing and doing drills, then we'll do that. And we'll jump through that hoop. And then, you know, we'll get 11 guys out there. We'll jump through that. And we'll just see where it all goes to. And it goes back to him being able to protect himself, correct? Yeah, there, that's the first thing you want to know. Because you, you can't have a guy get hurt because of a limitation in, in mobility. And is this the biggest for you as a coach, when you're having to, you're having to get guys ready without a preseason and they're young quarterbacks, as a coach, what are the challenges that presents you? And are there any things that you say, I might have to do this a little bit differently, or we may have to spend more time on this to get them ready for, to, for game action? That's why after every day, there's got to be, in, a, in my mind, an evaluation. Where are these guys at? 
and nothing that we've done so far says they can't do this or they can't do that. We need to get on the field and actually do some things before we find out if they can do them or not. Uh, the worst thing we can do is come to conclusions early right. and put limitations on guys. The sky's the limit for all these guys. They'll tell us what they can do and not do once we get out to the field. And it's up to us to watch and see and, and translate those into what we're doing with plays and what we're asking them to do so that they can play at their fastest. The, the worst thing we can do is ask too much and, and have them play slow and then react slow. So whatever it takes for them to be able to play fast, react fast and be the player that we've all seen them be in other places is the style of offense and, and the things that we're going to ask of them. Are there drills that you would do more of? Do you keep them on the, will you keep them on the field longer? Are there things that you're doing virtually that are different that you say, I think this is going to help them get there? Or is there anything that you've had to change like that? Well, I've watched all you guys and we're starting from scratch and, and going through the most efficient ways to do things. And then each guy has things that within that technique that they need to work on, whether it's the knee bend or being lined up or finishing the throw or, or there's little things within it that we do for each guy. Uh, so that way we're, we're very specific for each guy and it's different for each guy. Right. And then as we go forward, we'll see what they need more or less of as we go. Last thing, and I appreciate it. I didn't realize how close you were to coming to Northern Virginia a long time ago. Yeah, with, How about with your that? dad. So, like, yeah, what yeah. what happened? What happened there? I know Joe Gibbs would go out and try and get him, but you know what? What was that process like? Was it close ever? I don't know because you know <laughs> it was always easy to say, yeah, you know, my family didn't want to go, but over the years, I haven't known my dad want to leave California either. You know, he's from Santa Barbara, and you know, move, moving everybody was not something that that was exciting to him. I know when he was uh, transitioning and, and from coaching to scouting for the Jets. We didn't move anywhere. We stayed there in, uh, in San Diego. And this, that, that was one of the reasons why he had another job in the NFL coaching secondary. And he decided to, to take less to be a scout so he didn't have to move his family. And uh, that left an impression on me. But who knows, uh, maybe it was him all along that didn't want to come out here. I don't know. Well, did he, he put it to a vote to you guys? Oh, always. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was always voted on. And I guess it was a bunch of no's. <laughs> it was a resounding no, 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 no. It's hard to leave San Diego. It's tough. It's yeah. a great place. Great place. But uh, I'm really excited about being here. I love being here. This is a neat area, and I, I can't wait to see more of it. I think if, if, if you guys do well, you'll see how much more fun it probably would be. So, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, it's, like it's always. always like that everywhere you go, I believe. So. Isn't that the truth? Thank, thanks, Ken. I appreciate your time. You got it. After this break, I'll be back with barbecue legend Danielle Bennett. You can follow her on Twitter at DivaQ. BBQ. That's D-I-V-A-Q BBQ. I love her creativity and her twist on beer can chicken. Folks, you'll be hungry in about 10 minutes, probably less. When I grill or cook in the kitchen, I usually like to grind my spices fresh. The ones I make at home just taste better. But I've changed my strategy up a bit to use Dizzy Pig Craft Seasonings. Based in Manassas, Virginia, they grind their spice combinations daily, and it's easy to see why they've built a loyal following over the past 20 years. Dizzy Pig owner Chris Capel has won 15 championships on the Pro Barbecue Tour using only their products. And I've heard from other pitmasters on the Barbecue Tour that insist on Dizzy Pig. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. 
Among the ones I've really enjoyed, the Raging River and Wonderbird. Both are excellent on chicken. The Cow Lick is amazing on beef, and their popular Dizzy Dust is truly all-purpose. But with 27 different blends, there is a seasoning for just about any recipe or cooking technique. Get 20% off your online order shipped in the U.S. if you use the coupon KIND, that's K-E-I-M, at DizzyPigBBQ.com, that's D-I-Z-Z-Y Pig BBQ.com. And I'm very honored to be joined by my next guest. And I talk to athletes all the time. I don't get geeked out by them because it's what I do, but I do get geeked out to talking to barbecue legends. Danielle Bennett at DivaQBBQ on Twitter, an absolute must follow because if you want to follow a Twitter feed that makes you really hungry, this is the one. <laughs> and I could give you the list of accomplishments that she's had. I mean, U.S. World Championships, barbecue hitmasters, hosted barbecue crawl for three years. And so there's so many lists of accomplishments. Just suffice to say, she's really good. And I'm very honored to be joined by her. And I appreciate your time. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you too is you are really creative with what you do with the barbecue. And I'm just curious, like, you know, just your approach to barbecuing and smoking and grilling and why do you, you just seem to like to discover new ways to do it? Well, I think it comes down to the fact that, you know, I, I, I love all the big meats, you know, the traditional big meats, the brisket, the pulled pork, the ribs, the chicken, those are all the traditional meats. And they're a lot of fun and they're always delicious and they're consistent. And I teach, you know, four normally right. <laughs> four to six thousand, four to six thousand students a year. I've been doing that for years and uh, I love to be creative. I'm a chef. And so what happens is that, you know, like for, I'll give you an example last night in bed watching food videos. I saw something went, huh, I bet you I could do that on a barbecue. And the next thing you know that I'm literally, you know, buying groceries online or, or, you know, doing what I have to do. And then I'll try to put a barbecue spin on a lot of things. Um, additionally, I think it's just a, a creative, you know, some, some people are artists and, um, you know, my medium, I think, is more food. And I think that that's honestly for a lot of chefs and cooks. Um, you know, artistry can come in a lot of different formats. And so I don't work in clay and I don't work in charcoal. But I work with food and I try to bring things together that I think are going to be fun. And it could be something as silly as, you know, I did this uh, I did this biscuit tray omelet over the course of the weekend and a ridiculous amount of traffic on it. <laughs> um, or it could be something, um, you know, like a Wagyu brisket bombs, which are like, you know, cubes of brisket that I've smoked for 10, 12 hours, wrapped in bacon, re-smoked. And, wow. you know, so there's a wide variety, you know, then there's, you know, the, the absolute creative ones, which is, you know, when I'm, when I, I love the application of meat science, I'm, you know, anybody follows me long enough, you could see, I don't like, I'm never going to be one of those people just tells you to do it because I do it. I'm going to tell you to do it because this is why you should okay. do it. And so the application of meat science and food science in general always fascinates me. And I'm constantly learning. It's, it's a never ending process. And so, for example, you know, when I years, many, many years ago, when I came up with pineapple stand chicken, everybody was doing beer cans. I was just like, going to ask you about what that. A waste. Yeah. What a waste of beer. <laughs> That's like, I'm like, this. why do people still do this? And I'm like, you know, still shocked to this day. Why people still do it. You're wasting your beer, people. Okay. The stand works fantastic. I get it. But let me tell you, you know, some things that we can actually get, you know, moisture and flavor and deliciousness into your food. And that's where, of course, the enzymes and the bromelains um, that, that are in, in uh, pineapples come into play. And for me, it's, it's, you know, all about being creative and doing those kind of things. And, you know, every day I get up like um, later on today, I'm going to do a, a woven, a braided woven um, 
type of pork loin. Um, no. Never, nobody else does that kind of stuff. So that's that's where my creativity comes out. And people love that kind of stuff because it's fun and it's different and it's just, it's it's just something different, you know. And that's what I like about. It. But you mentioned because I do, I like the beer can chicken, and I'm not like, yeah. I, but I always have this like, well, I don't want to buy good beer to do it because <laughs> I don't want to waste that. So I have to buy, and then I'm like, but I don't want to buy a six pack of bad beer because I'm not going to drink it. <laughs> What did you, how did you determine, like, how did you come up with that? Because I am, I was intrigued by that one because I love the smoked beer can. So how did you come up with the pineapple for it? And what do you, like, what's the process of getting the pineapple down, just cutting it down all the way down? Yeah. So one of the things is that many years ago, I made a $125 mistake in meat. And I had been reading all about how bromelains, which are an enzyme in pineapple, break down meat. And I thought, huh. Well, I had a really expensive brisket and I was playing with the textural components of brisket um, and the application. So I used to have 65 barbecues. I'm down to like 22 now. So I'm like, I've reduced down a lot. So I, I would experiment not just on one barbecue. I'd experiment on multiples of barbecues and different applications of heat. And so one of the things is that I literally ended up liquefying a brisket because the enzymes were so strong in this pineapple. And but the pineapple flavor was really, really predominant. And so I, uh, you know, I was looking at different things in which to improve upon the beer can chicken and saying, okay, you know, we've got these, these ceramic thrones that work great. Um, you know, if you pack a, you know, a, a whole chicken full of herbs, that always works. If you pack a chicken full of, of, you know, a, an acidic based, uh, you know, item like lemons that works. So pineapple, of course I'd done, you know, roasted pineapple salsas and poblano salsas uh, quite often, very popular at my house to do that. And I thought, huh. And so I'm standing there on the counter and, you know, I've got four or five pineapples sitting there and I'm like, well, what if I make a stand out of pineapple? And so I literally ripped apart like five or six pineapples. Um, and basically it's just discarding the outer core, saving that to make a salsa. Right. And then realizing that this assembly process can't be done ahead of time because the actual enzymes will once again, right. and there's a warning in my cookbook that says, do not do this ahead of time. It's to be done literally right before you go to the grill. Um, and you know, it just took off so much so that, you know, like one of those big, uh, I won't mention the name, one of those big food sites tried to claim it as their own. I'm like, Whoa, wait a second. Wait a second. My, my, my cookbook's been on, um, Amazon and with random house for like the last five years, you might want to try that again. And that, Take it down. Yeah, And that's Diva Q's barbecue. That's the cookbook. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I like, I like that because also pineapples are accessible. Yeah. You know, one of the things is that not everybody has the discretionary income to go after those, you know, beautiful A5 Wagyu's, which I love, yeah. don't get me wrong. Um, I, I got into a, not an argument, but I kind of got into a, a bit of a discussion on Twitter over the course of the weekend because somebody said, you know, I'm not going to use any commodity pork ever. It's a waste of time. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. It's not a waste of time. It's not a waste of, of money. I said, not everybody can, exp you know, afford those more expensive cuts. You know, at the core essence, uh, you know, essence of barbecue is taking, you know, the lesser desirable cuts, right. a basic chicken, right? and making them better, you know, an inexpensive $2 pineapple, you know, and, and a beautiful, you know, just regular right. chicken and you can make something spectacular. So I love those applications as well. It just makes me happy to do that. Well, that's good. And like I said, that, that's what I, I mean, that's the one that really jumps out to me. But the other reason why I really <laughs> wanted to talk to you too, is because you had a video. I remember, I don't even remember what you were doing, but you were in the backyard or on your patio or something. And all I could see was three feet of snow on the side shoveled up. I'm like, <laughs> God bless. Because like, that's what I always like. Yeah. I think that barbecuing is a year-round activity. And that's why. Yeah. So I was really, I love seeing that. So like, you're doing this. Are you doing this pretty much every day, grilling or smoking? 
Yeah. So I originally, for the first 40 years of my life, I lived in Canada um, and I went to, I went to college in Northern Canada, Northern Ontario. And so I lived there for 40 years. And for me, um, and for the last 14 years as a, as a pet master, it didn't matter if it was snowing and there was six feet of snow. It didn't matter if there, you know, it was sunny and rainy. I live, breathe, eat barbecue. Um, I, this isn't every day. I now own a, you know, my home in Florida and I'm here all the time now, full time. Makes it a little bit easier. Right. No snow to shovel. Right. I kind of like that program. I've got, you know, a couple of outdoor kitchen setups now. Um, but I truly believe that. I don't believe it. that was never an excuse. Snow was never an excuse for me not to barbecue. I barbecued no matter what. And there's some really old YouTube videos out there. I think I know which ones you're talking about yes. where I was just prepping some steaks and you could see the backyard is just mounded yeah. full of snow. It is what it is. Um, I never let it get in my way. You know, my priority was, okay, get the shovels out. We shovel off the driveway and then the backyard gets shoveled because I got to work. I got to, you know, compile recipes. You know, I'm a professional recipe developer. So, you know, you know, it doesn't stop for snow. I always liked it because like I would, you know, if we had a few feet of snow, I'd clear out a spot, but I wanted the neighbors to know that this guy's crazy enough to go do this there. What's going on? <laughs> but, you know, so I, I always like doing that. But you also, you know, you are, the other thing I want to ask you about too, you are in a male dominated industry and you've absolutely stood out. <laughs> but I also am curious, like, what, what do people look at you with greater question about being a female or being Canadian? Because this feels like it's an American thing. Is it, do, do you know what I mean? Like, and, and I kind of laugh when I say well, that, but. I got to tell you, it's come from all fronts. Um, but definitely being a female in this industry. And I'm also a female that doesn't back down. I think you have to make that distinction right. too. I'm not some, you know, there, there's a lot of female, you know, chefs and cooks and things like that in more in male dominant in industries. However, in barbecue less than, I think they did a study, HPBA did a study and it was like literally less than 3% were female. Wow. Now, if you take that and then you add somebody like me who has no fear of opening her mouth, because I will stand my ground based on the fact that I am actually a barbecue expert. Right. And, and very few people can actually say that. Right. Um, I have a U.S. designation. When I came to this country, I have a U.S. designation as a barbecue expert. I am the only one that's ever been given, only person ever that's been given that designation outside of the United wow. States. And I know my stuff inside and out. I've traveled the entire world eating barbecue. I've eaten barbecue in every major region over 600 barbecue joints. I've written a bestseller cookbook. I'm the only person to ever host a TV right. show solely hosted, sold with nobody else, right? You know, successfully for three years. Um, you know, I know my stuff inside and out and I don't back down. And I think that's also very uh, affronting to some people. Um, not in a mean way, but I'm going to stay on my ground. And, and if somebody decides to try to mansplain things to me, which as you know, happens on Twitter all the time. <laughs> yes. And I'm literally, I just sit there going, thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> Dude, I'm like, you know, uh, you know, there's a reason why they pay me to go all over the world. Yeah. You know, there is a reason why companies pay me to associate my name with theirs. There's a reason for those things, just like it would be if it was a male. But unfortunately, sometimes when you don't have the, the, the male parts, they look down at you and think that they have to explain it to you. They have to do this. They have to do that. Additionally, you know, if I'm out with either, you know, my partner or, or some other guys, and we've been out at events, they will all go talk to the guys and the guys are going, you don't want to talk to us. You want to talk to her. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you asking us for? We don't know what we're doing. She's the boss. And that's, you know, those are kind of common things, but you know, I don't know if it's ever going to change to be perfectly honest. I really don't. Um, you know, it goes back to the fact that, you know, males for some reason still think the barbecue is their domain. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah. I'm like, okay, whatever. 
it's, cook, <laughs> it's cooking it's cooking and um, science and all that so it, it's it's kind of funny yeah well how do you how did you go though because you started getting into it you were i think you were if i remember right you were like a judge you started doing how do you go from that to being where you're at now like what were what are, what would you say is like your big you know what how how are we able to travel that road because it's I don't care if you're male or female. That's not an easy road. No, it wasn't. Um, you know, I actually, what people don't realize is that I had a whole other career before right. barbecue. I was an HR operations manager. I've got double degrees. I've got a degree in business marketing for three years and another two-year degree in HR. And uh, I did that corporately. And I literally was burnt out from it because I just hated the companies I was working for. I love the people. I just hated the companies and didn't feel empowered at all. And, and so I left and stayed home with my children at the time. Uh, for a couple of years. And then I had always been an intense home cook always like that. That's never changed uh, a lot of stuff from scratch. You know, 90% of my stuff is from scratch, whether it be bread or cookies or whatever. I don't have a problem like cracking open boxes for certain things, but you know, always been a really intense home cook cooked. You know, they used to have my friends, you know, every party was at my house, you know, hostess with the mostest, you know, right. you know, um, you know, the Canadian Martha I got called that quite a few times. At the end of the day, for me, um, I judged a barbecue contest uh, just a, a, right around 14 and a half years ago. I judged a barbecue contest. And my parents had had a place here in Florida for many years. And so my only real experience with, with American-style barbecue was literally stopping at those gas stations coming up and down the highway from Canada. Oh, they were traditional yeah. snowbirds, you know. So we used to stop at, you know, gas stations and you'd have a pulled pork sandwich or you'd have chicken or like whatever it was but never really experienced it until about 14 and a half years ago. And I went, huh. I'm like, I had some really great barbecue, I had some okay barbecue. And then I said some barbecue, I'm like, I wouldn't feed a dog. Hmm, yeah. And I, all, the first thought I had literally was, I'm pretty sure I can do this. And literally that's all it took for me. And I'm one of those people, if I'm gonna go and do something, I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna do it right. And so what I did was three months later, I competed in my very three months after the very first time of judging a barbecue contest, I competed in a, um, uh, like a backyard contest and I came in third with, you know, and then I thought, okay, so if I'm going to figure this out, I better start to travel because, well, I'm in Canada and there's not a heck of a lot of barbecue here. So I, then I started traveling and I went to, on my own dime. So I went to the Carolinas and I went to Kentucky and I went to, you know, even California for, for Santa Maria style tri-tip. And I went to, of course, Texas and I went to Kansas and I went to all of these different states in order to experience barbecue and then learn, you know, hat in hand, basically from some of the best pit masters in the world. And I was very, very grateful that they took me seriously. And yes, they probably did think I was a total batshit. Oh, that's okay. Crazy woman at that crazy, crazy woman at that point. Cause here's this woman coming from Canada going, can I just learn anything from right. you? Like anything. Can I do your dishes? Can you, can I talk to you for 10 minutes? Can I, can I see your pits? Can I, can you tell me about your seam welds? Can you tell me about how thick your metal is? Why did you place your pit here? Why is your door on this side? Why are your hinges on this side? Is there an airflow issue? And I ask 50 million questions, whether it's, you know, their, their valves or their, you know, and I mean questions that most people wouldn't, they're right. like, oh, it's a good sandwich. Now me, I just want to know the whole process. Uh, where are you getting your meats from? Well, why do you use that meat? Why don't you use this? And I literally did that for years and all along all of that I was also competing and I started to win some stuff and uh, I did pretty well um one of the, the 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 best times was I had arrived at a contest in uh in Pennsylvania and uh you know that whole male female right. thing got in the way and I was trashed royally by a couple people and said what you, what's a Canadian woman doing here in Pennsylvania and I'm like well I came to compete you know this is a Kansas City Barbecue Society contest I said you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a member and I want to try to compete here and it was uh, one of the first big barbecue contests I'd done in the U.S. And these guys were just some of the most belligerent, rude people to this day. 
that oh. I'd ever encountered and just in my face about a woman doesn't deserve to be in barbecue and has no right to barbecue. It's a male sport. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And one of the most rewarding moments, because I walked away from it. I didn't mouth off. I didn't, which is very unusual. I didn't mouth off. I didn't say anything to them. And I walked away and I thought, huh, well, let me see about that. And I literally went on my, I, I have a tendency. And when I'm at contests, I'll put in headphones or I'll put music in and I drown out everything and I don't talk to anybody. And so I go off in my own little place and um, I ended up winning the contest. I grand wow. champion the whole contest. And I took three out of four first places. And I went up to them afterwards. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're wrong. And I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and that was 13 and a half years ago. And I'm still here. That's, so that's awesome. <laughs> Well, let me ask you, let me get some quick tips for people listening to. Um, yeah. This is a selfish tip because I'm going to be making brisket soon. And I always like, I'm on a quest to make a perfect, you know, I want some perfect brisket to make at home. I feel like I do well with other stuff. When you make the brisket, you know, first of all, do you, are you salt and pepper only or do you like to season more than that? Well, here's the thing I'm going to tell you right now. There's no such thing as a perfect brisket. There's no such thing There's as a one way to make barbecue. Here's the thing, everybody has their own personal flavor profiles. You know, sometimes I feel like a Texas style brisket, which is much more about using a 16 mesh pepper, right. uh, measuring salt and pepper, you know, either by volume or by weight, depending on how, you know, you want your results. Other times I'm gonna do a definitely a little more sweeter bark on the brisket. Um, there is no one perfect way to do brisket. And the great thing about barbecue is that it's ever evolving, ever changing. Right. And the application of meat and science and spices can give you multitudes of results all the time. So for me, I, I, the, my number one tip to people is first and foremost, when it comes to brisket, buy the best, very best right. quality brisket you can afford. So whether that's a prime grade, which is more, I, I buy more primes and Wagyu's than anything. Okay. Those are my two favorite brands. Um, I, I typically do not go below a prime unless I am doing a nitrate based injection. Um, and that is, uh, that is something in where that's kind of like a moisture insurance right. policy, basically when it comes to brisket, if you're doing a choice brisket, um, you're going to need some moisture because you have an absence of marbling and that absence of marbling within the, the meat protein strands is one of the biggest challenges. You know, that's one of the challenges of cooking a good brisket. So, um, definitely, you know, like to, later on this week, I'll be doing a, uh, just a regular prime brisket again this week because, uh, you know, people in my house love brisket right. tomorrow. I'm smoking a pastrami. Uh, I'm smoking smoking another pastrami tomorrow, oh. which is of course just a cured, cured yeah. brisket. I love pastrami. So, I, um, well, keep going. Go I'm sorry. I want to ask you about that, but keep going. <laughs> so, um, for me, brisket is, is almost uh, every two weeks. Usually I'm having brisket in my, my own house just because we love to eat brisket it's, it's been... and it's just very, it's very consistent. And sometimes it's salt and pepper and sometimes it's, it's not. <laughs> do you, when you do, do you do the, the, do you wrap during the, during the stall? And if so, like if you don't have, because everybody, you know, the butcher wrap seems to work really well. Do you butcher? Do you foil? What do you wrap? I do both. Okay. One of the things is, is that goes back once again, there's no one right way to barbecue. So I have, you know, boxes of course, heavy duty aluminum foil, which is what I use regularly. And I also have, you know, unwaxed butcher paper, which is commonly called either peach paper or pink right. paper. And either one of those will work just fine. You just have to understand how to read the meat. So if you have a, a piece of meat that's looking a little bit challenging, and maybe it's already drying out a little too much, um, I would always go with foil. Okay. Always go with foil. I'm gonna I'm gonna say my split is this: 75% of the time, I'm gonna wrap in foil over bar or over paper. Oh, really? Okay, good to know. Yeah. Um, you, just because just because you see something on TV 
doesn't mean it's right. right. It doesn't just because you see, you know, this one, you know, barbecue person that does it, it doesn't mean that's the perfect way to do every single piece of meat. Um, literally, I don't mind a softer bark and a brisket that has been wrapped in foil will have a softer right. bark because foil doesn't breathe. Unwaxed butcher paper, of course, is malleable. It's, you know, it'll allow smoke to get through. You're going to have a different, hardier bark. Um, there's nothing wrong with either one of them. You know, um, it's literally a textural component that you want the end result to be at. Both of them hold moisture in well. Um, the foil will hold it in faster. A, a, a brisket that is literally wrapped in foil or a pork butt wrapped in foil or a rack of ribs that's wrapped in foil will always cook faster than a, a rack of, of ribs or a pork butt or a brisket that's wrapped in paper. It only makes sense, of course, right. when it doesn't breathe, it's holding all that heat inside. So you're expediting the cooking process even more so, probably 10 to 15% more than something that is wrapped in paper. And good, I'm glad to hear that because that's what, you know, typically I'm going to wrap in foil. With my ribs, I wrap in foil and it always, they, they work yeah. well. The, the pastrami, key to making uh, the good smoke pastrami. Oh, for me, it's a combo. I do an injection and a cure. Oh, so I do a four day, I do a four to five day brine okay. plus injected as well. And so my injection is kind of a super strength injection. Um, you know, I have, I have a channel on Facebook and we just hit 1.1 million impressions wow. yesterday, Wow. Uh, a month, which is, which is awesome That's for awesome. a little barbecue channel. Uh, and the reason is, is because I do all this stuff live. I don't do any, any like recorded videos on my Facebook. We do everything live. And that's a little different because if you screw up, you screw up. Right. Everybody's going to see it. Right. And so that scares a lot of people. And I get that. But if you know what you're doing, you know, it should be okay, right. you know, and it should work out and the temperature should be right. And so we actually did the, the uh, pastrami uh, injection and the brine and the cure um, live. And we talked about the nitrites in that and, um, for me, it's a combination of two. Actually, today is the, the last, so today is the last day. It's in water now to dry out the excess salt. And then tomorrow morning, um, I'll season it up with black pepper and some toasted coriander, crush it all down and it'll go on the grill until, uh, you know, we get some beautiful smoke on there and a beautiful mm -hmm. bark. And I cannot wait. So tomorrow night I have some friends coming over for dinner and everybody's coming for pastrami. We're going to make some. Oh, that's, oh God, that's, that's, that's like one of my favorite things. So you got me all, um, what is there one thing you haven't grilled that you want to grill yet? Honestly, I've done, you know, I've done whole hogs many, many times. I've done whole alligators. I've done um, a lot of, you know, a, a steam dip cut, which is one of the biggest, you know, beef cuts you can get. Right. Um, I haven't crossed anything yet so far. Uh, you know, I've done the massive crown roasts. I've done, I'd have to think about that. I really would. I'd have to really think about that a little longer because I, yeah, I, I'll cook anything. You know, that's the thing. You know, I, I real wow that that nobody has ever asked me that. Really? That's a new one. For me. Well, because and I, I've done a lot you, of beers. The, the other thing is too, and this this will be the last thing. I appreciate your time. I I really enjoyed this. Oh, the other thing I do want to ask you about: Are you familiar with Dizzy Pig Barbecue? Of course, Dizzy Pig, Dizzy Pig. Oh. I love. I gotta tell you. So, by the way, they're very familiar with me. And let yes, me I know why. that. Yeah, Chris, one of the owners from Dizzy Pig. Um, used to love when I used to be beside him at contests. You got to ask him about this. Okay. The reason is, for some reason, I was like a good luck charm for them. <laughs> and every time I was beside them, they would win the damn contest. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think that they have some of the absolute highest quality rubs on the market. One of the things that I, I really respect about them is that a lot of these barbecue guys and barbecue girls, they're putting out like these massive lines of rubs and sauces. And I'm going to come off as a total snob now, but I'm okay with it. 
They don't even know their own damn recipes. It drives me up the wall, okay? They're literally just getting a co-packer to go, hey, slap this label on. Can you make it kind of taste like honey? Can you make it kind of taste like bourbon? Can you make it kind of taste like this? They have no clue what's in the actual recipes. And I respect Dizzy Pig a lot because I know that they do. Right. He understands, you know, that, you know, a quarter teaspoon of citric acid is going to do this to the product. I, I think the quality is spectacular. I think that they are really, really, um, Tsunami Spin is still one of my favorite rubs of all times. Um, he, the, the whole company has done such a brilliant job of putting out probably one of the highest quality rubs on the market. It, just a spectacular product. And they don't pay me. They don't send me free products. So this is a total, you know, pure endorsement of their skill set and his cooking skills. He's a great cook. They, they are, they are, part, they are one of my sponsors right now. Then I knew, I, I knew oh, I that you but yeah, and so like I really like their products as well, and um, yep. that's why I wanted to ask you. But last thing is, is there one thing that you grilled that people were like very skeptical of, and then they taste it like holy cow? Because I asked that because one thing I did for my kids one time was I grilled watermelon, and they are like they still like why would you grill watermelon? Because it's you can't. So, but I'm just curious, like what was is there one thing that you grilled that people just said? What are you doing? And then they think, wow, this was really good. I get that a lot of desserts. You know, I want a lot of money in the dessert category and the pork category. The pork and dessert category is where I've won more money than anything else. Um, I think a lot of people are shocked by the desserts I do. Okay. And I think that that's definitely a big one. Um, and also the fact that I called sausage. I'm often heard, referred to as calling sausage meat Play-Doh because I literally will build anything out of it. Um, cause I made sausage donuts a couple weeks ago for father's day wow. just cause it sounded like fun. I thought, huh, let's do some plain ones. We'll do some bacon wrap ones. We'll do, you know, just a sausage donut sounds like fun. And, and so I, it goes back to that creativity right. thing, right? It's not just, a, I know how to cook the big meats. I got it. You know, I've been doing it a long time right. now. Um, so I think it's fun to let that creativity come out and try those fun things. And like you said, why do you grill watermelon? Well, it's the same reason, you know, occasionally I'll throw a head of romaine lettuce on a grill right? and make a, uh, you know. Caesar salad. People aren't expecting that, but the That's collapse of those, you know, the collapse of the cells in the, in the, the lettuce structure, you know, condenses the flavor. Also, I think people need to get on the grill and celery program. No joke. Really? I, yeah, I love grilled celery and roasted celery. And I don't think people realize because everybody kind of looks at celery. It's a negative caloric intake. Um, but if you actually grill or smoke celery, it is a beautiful dish. And I think if people would do it more often, it'd be as good and as, as rewarding as asparagus. Yeah. Really? Oh, that's, that's, yeah. see, I'm, I'm going out to the grill. I'll be out the grill a few times this week. So I'm going to absolutely try that. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's, you know, all you have to remember is that, you know, the outside of celery is a little woody. So you just peel the outside a little bit. You get all the nice tender stuff on the inside. Um, I also think that people need to, to grill cactus more, you know, really? Nepales. Yeah. Nepales are like, it's like a cross between, to me, the flavor is like a cross between a green pepper and an asparagus. And I don't think enough people grill Nepales. Uh, like there's so many of those types of things that I'm like, do more people not get this? Like, <laughs> like it, it's good. Yeah. Why aren't you doing people? And I think that that's, I, I, I have a lot of those kind of reactions. I'm like, yeah, I get it. You got, yes, yes, of course, you've got the tomahawk. Yes, we all have seen the tomahawk picture. Are we over the tomahawk yet? Because I am so over the tomahawk. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love a good tomahawk. I, I'm not putting down any of my friends or my ranch friends. Right. They are so 
marketers that get it, but could we please, for the love of God, find a new protein? <laughs> I am so tired. Even I'm tired of myself holding these things up in the air, okay? Going, whoa, be <laughs> barbecue woman, look at you. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm totally okay. And you know what I mean? Because yeah. we're both on social media. Yeah. And it's like every other, you know, barbecue pitcher is the tomahawk. I'm like, oh my good gravy, seriously move on, people. Can we just find a different protein? <laughs> find out. Like seriously. So yeah. that, that's fantastic. Well, Danielle, I greatly appreciate you joining me. And I hope people listening can this is why I want to have you on because I really enjoy your stuff and have following you for, for years now because I started watching barbecue pitmasters five, six years ago. And it's just mm-hmm. it's been fun, but it's like really enjoy following on Twitter at DivaQ, BBQ because of that creativity. And it's like, it, it really is a fun thing to do. Barbecue is great. So I really appreciate you joining me and people it's, um, at I, the book title of the book again is um, DivaQ's Barbecue. So go buy that. You'll learn. And Danielle, appreciate you joining me. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I wish you all the very best in barbecue. After this break, I'll be back with a few nuggets of information, including commentary on Jack Del Rio's tweets and corner Jimmy Moreland. Yes, the people's corner. A couple months ago, I stopped into a store for a sandwich, but it was the smell of the coffee that knocked me over. That's when I fell in love with Lone Oak Coffee. I bought some of their Mexican blend and was happy for the rest of the week. Lone Oak is a small specialty-based coffee roaster company in Winchester, Virginia. They finished ninth in the nation in the U.S. Coffee Roasting Championships in 2017. They have received many awards for their house blend at the world's largest coffee roasting competition. Here's what I love about Lone Oak. They dial in each coffee to fit its best profile, bringing out the natural nuances and highlighting interesting flavors. I'm drinking their Brazilian blend now with a mix of nutty and almond flavors. They have coffees from all over the world. I love their smooth Colombian with hints of cocoa and caramel apple. Go to LoneOakCoffee.com, L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com. And when you order, use the code COFFEE2020. That's COFFEE2020. You will receive a 5% discount with free shipping on any orders over $25. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. The Alex Smith story remains a good one, but I'm sticking with what I told you last week. There's a big difference between being pleasantly surprised by how someone looks or doing better than expected and being able to compete for the starting job. I don't yet get the sense he's really at that point, and I don't know that he'll get there. I don't know that. I don't know that he won't. When I talk to people there, I get the feeling they kind of have the similar mindset that I do. He was not a big topic of conversation before training camp as far as competition for the starting job. And while he's looked better than expected, others say that Dwayne Haskins and Kyle Allen both have looked good too. Of course, they're not working against any defense at this point and are only going through drills and performing walkthroughs in in addition to conditioning and weightlifting. There are a lot of people rooting for Smith. I think everybody is. But even his biggest fans aren't willing to go to the point of saying, yes, they think he'll play again. The issue remains his legs were his biggest asset. If he has lost anything with them, then he needs to be more of a true pocket passer, something he's never been. Listen, if Smith remains on the pup list as the season opens 
and stays on IR eventually, he can still help by just by being in the meeting rooms as he did last year with Haskins. I do think, and I told you last week, that if he was able to play, he could show these guys how he prepares, how he takes notes in the meeting room, etc. His preparation is also a huge, huge thing. And that's something that Patrick Mahomes always talked about, what helped him. And that's what Smith felt he could give to Patrick Mahomes when he was in Kansas City. And it'd be something good to give here. I don't know that we're going to get to that point again. It's a great story. Hopefully he can get back there. But I think we're still a few steps away from getting to that point. But but I also think that, and I think I told you last week, I also think that part of what's good here is that Smith is a is it would be a legit threat to bumping a guy like Dwayne Haskins, which means that Haskins has to continue to stay sharp and continue to do what he has been doing this offseason. And that's something that's been good a good development for them. But having Smith there, it's a good reminder, hey, if you don't do this, you got this guy. And the better Kyle Allen looks running the show, the more it puts pressure to continue to do what you're doing. I still think this is Dwayne Haskins' job to lose. Next. I don't know if Coach Ron Rivera has talked to defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio about his tweets from nearly two months ago, but I know when they first became a topic, the feeling I got back was that Rivera had just touted the Constitution as a reason why he supported players kneeling. How could he then tell Del Rio not to say anything? Also, the headline would seem to be Del Rio tweets support for unpopular beliefs. I don't know if that's where we are at in the country. I think some people think we are, and if that's is it is it just a is it a big story if he has a different support than what the popular opinion on a social medium would be or with his players I don't know what matter what I do know is what matters here is Del Rio's relationship with his players and if it becomes a problem with them then it becomes something that affects the team I talked to one former NFL player who played for Del Rio in the past who who wondered how it would affect the player's ability to trust him. It's not like players and coaches always agree on certain political things. They don't. But if it's brought out into the open, will it erode the trust? The player felt it would. Now, we're getting ahead of the story here because I have no idea what's going on between Del Rio and the players. We're not there. And it's hard to get in touch with these guys at this point. I know his defenses have produced when he's been a coordinator. I don't think his personality has changed any over the years. And I don't think his beliefs have either. I don't. I have no clue. But I do know that others in the building are absolutely paying attention to social media and what gets what gets said and how it's handled, whether by Del Rio or by other players. Um, listen, if players see, for example, that Haskins or anyone else is being way too present on some social mediums and not getting their work done, they'll be they'll be pissed. If they say if they see Del Rio tweeting about stuff that goes against their beliefs, especially during this climate, they'll be pissed. Welcome to the continued evolution of the social media age. Next up, I know he got touted last year, but Jimmy Moreland continues to be the guy that many, many like, whether players or others in the building. And they all say the same thing, talking about his competitiveness and how he has some dog in him. I mean, I'm telling you, it's every guy you talk to says the same things. There are a couple things with him. I know he played inside last year, but that wasn't his natural spot. It's where they needed him and where they felt he might help. But he had a lot to learn inside because it's so different. He wasn't. He was used in corn. Excuse me, at James Madison, he was used to being a man corner on the outside. They do want to try him outside. I've been told this offseason that he would get a shot out there because they some feel some there some there believe that that's his best spot. 
Um, again, they felt he was raw outside too because when he played, he hadn't played. He didn't. He didn't play zone in college. They felt Moreland survived because of his instincts, ball skills, and toughness. They're hopeful that after learning more of the game and the position, that he can help at one or both of those spots. Clearly, Kendall Fuller will play in the slot. That's where he's absolutely at his best. And when they talk about Fuller playing safety, it's in various packages and nothing more. But if Moreland shows he can play in the slot, then it allows them to use Fuller in other ways. Now, of course, somebody else could emerge there, whether Greg Stroman or maybe maybe if Moreland's playing more on the outside, can Fabian Rowe go back inside? But I think the point is they need somebody who can also play there to you to tap into the creativity that they think they have because of Fuller. Finally, I hope you got a chance to read my story on Keith Ismail last week about his journey driving across the country to reach Ashburn. It was a two-month journey, and he explains why it went like this in the story, but I enjoyed talking to him, and what stood out to me was his maturity. Every conversation I had with him, probably four or five, lasted at least a half hour. Why? Well, he likes to talk, but more importantly, he always has something to say. He came across as smart, mature, and prepared. All are good qualities to have in a pro. He's confident because of what he felt he had to overcome to reach this point. Though there are some good bloodlines in his family, he didn't grow up with a lot, and he worked hard to reach the NFL. With that comes confidence, and driving across the country helped him get, get more. It was a tough task he did on his own. It's a little thing, but it helped him. He's someone worth watching develop, and here's why. If he comes through, then Washington won't have to pay center Chase Rouye after the season if it doesn't want to. Rouye would be a free agent, and he's been a fine center. He's a smart guy. He also, he's got a lot of the same qualities. But they're, gonna have, they're going to have to pay Brandon Sheriff if they want to keep him. They might need to sign or draft a left tackle. And if Morgan Moses doesn't play better, then they're going to need somebody over there too. Ismail would provide an affordable solution at center. That's how this is supposed to work. I know everybody says you got to keep your own guys, but if you let guys you develop walk, you need to have a solution on the roster, and that's what they have. That's what they could have, may might have. We haven't seen them play yet, but it's what they might have in Ismail. In the past, that wasn't the case. They'd have to go out and sign someone maybe equally expensive and perhaps not as good. Anyway, we're jumping ahead here. Ismail is a mature young man who has a chance to help here. That's it for this week. Remember to support our sponsors, Lono Coffee. Use promo code COFFEE2020 and Dizzy Pig Barbecue. Use coupon KIME, that's K-E-I-M, for 20% off. A big thank you to Ken Zampezi and Danielle Bennett for joining me. Check out Danielle on Twitter at DivaQBBQ. And a huge thanks to you for listening. Talk to you next time.